Looks like it's time for Guess the Noise, Pro Tennis During COVID Edition. Let's welcome our guest for today, Shravya. I'm so honored to be on the show. Alrighty then, let's get started. Cue sound number one. Ow. Sorry, I, uh, I didn't get that. Could you play it again? Uh, <laughs> no thanks. The correct answer is electronic lines people calling a ball. Continuing, let's cue sound number two. Sorry, uh, I heard nothing. Correct! The answer is the silence of the non-existent crowd when the match has come to an end. What? This game is so weird. And that concludes this round of Guess the Noise! Pro Tennis During COVID Edition. Hello everyone and welcome to Hold On To Your Racket, the podcast dedicated to all things tennis. We're your hosts, Josefina and Shravya. Shravya and I are so excited to be creating this podcast and sharing our love for tennis with you all. Josefina and I are two high school gals and tennis fanatics, united together by our on-the-court and off-the-court companionship. And we're the young female voices in modern-day tennis you've been looking for, so we hope you enjoy this episode and stay tuned for more. Welcome back. Today is August 26, 2020, and we will be hosting our second episode here on Hold On To Your Racket. And I'm so pumped to get started. Me too, especially now that the Cincinnati Open has finally started playing. The main draw started on Saturday, August 22nd, and in the last episode we covered some stats and previews about what it might look like this year. That's right. So if you haven't tuned into our Western and Southern Open preview, we highly recommend you go check that out. Naturally, we're so excited that professional tennis is finally returning, and it seems like the players share that sentiment, even about the bubble. In a recent press conference, Maria Sakari commented that it's like a school trip, kind of like how Josefina was saying it's like a sleepaway camp, and that it's so nice to see everyone together. And then Naomi Osaka was asked about her hotel room situation, and she said that her hotel room is actually right next to Dominic Thiem's hotel room, also next to Tsitsipas's hotel room, who she's good friends with, and she also said that Alexander Zverev is staying in the room right across from her, although he's usually shirtless, so that must be a handful of tennis players to deal with maybe late at night when they get a little too rowdy playing Xbox or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, the USC has also made the grounds as fun as possible. I know they've set up a mini golf area, and they've also used the Arthur Ashe Stadium corporate suites to become private locker rooms for the seated players. So it seems like the USD is trying to make the most of the facility and the players are having fun in this first tur- real big tournament back. Right. So considering all of the troubles that these players have gone through to be at this tournament, I think it's only right that they have all these fun activities set up for them. But of course, the fun on the tour and success of the tournament so far does not come without the concerns for which the tour was put on hold in the first place. Last week, Argentinian player Guido Pea and Bolivian Hugo, Hugo Delian were forced to drop out of the Western and Southern Open because their physiotherapist, Juan Manuel Galvan, tested positive for the coronavirus and they had been together in Miami the week before. The disqualification raised concerns that there was a lack of communication between the USTA and the players addressing the waiver they had all received. Andy Murray commented, My understanding was that if a team member tested positive, you were not, but you were not sharing a room with that team member, 
then you will be allowed to play providing you were negative. And I think that is what all the players thought the rules were. So obviously this highlights that there was definitely some confusion between the set of rules the USTA provided and what the players came to understand. Even the current world number one uh, addressed his opinions over interviews. Djokovic commented on the fact that he believes it is unfair that the pair are out of the Western and Southern Open and most likely US Open if they have the negative results. I think this the whole situation, obviously, it really highlights the fact that we're not in a normal time of tournaments yet. I mean, obviously, there are no fans yet, but this still, like, it shows that there are still developments to be made in the tennis world considering the coronavirus. So, world number five, Daniel Medvedev, also had something to say about the situation. He feels the decision was wrong, especially since the players tested ne- negative on every COVID test they had received. Considering the possibility of a false positive, Medvedev feels that Galvan, the physiotherapist, should have been allowed a second test since he did test negative the first time. But he also raised an interesting point, saying that if the players had been part of the quarterfinals at the US Open, they probably would not have been disqualified. So that brings up the question of whether or not the COVID guidelines are subjective. Yeah, it's definitely a tricky situation, and the USTA clarified that the final decisions of kind of uh, making players withdraw from the tournament, disqualifying them from playing, lie in the hands of the New York State Department of Health. So all the players are required to wear their credentials at all times, and the credential has a chip in them so that the USTA can have the correct contact tracing data to provide the New York State Department of Health. And so when that data is given to them, they can look at who's going where, who they've been around with, and if someone ends up testing positive, it makes them easy to contact trace. So you raise a good point about whether these decisions are subjective, and it does seem that they might be a case-by-case basis since a couple of the players were kind of surprised by this result and thought it was unfair. But again, as you said, these are the times that we're living in, and the New York State Department of Health has to take all precautions they can for preventing another spread or outbreak in New York, and also making sure that these two tournaments go on safely. The main focus of this episode is our recap of rounds one, two, and three of the Cincinnati Open. Round one held a lot of pressure, especially considering the fact that these matches were going to be the first official ones of the ATP and some of the first few ones of the WTA Tour in over five months. We have also seen a ton of exciting close three-setters these past few days, and honestly, the trophy is really up for grabs. We've gotten really excited these past few days from the matches, and it's just, it's been insane. Yeah, I mean, I, a couple of the matches that I was watching, some of the Andy Murray and the Serena Williams matches, I was like yelling and screaming at my TV so much that I almost lost my voice, but you know... Hopefully I'll be okay because we still have some great matches coming up and I need my voice for that. So talking about the round one ATP recap, there were pretty much no big upsets because we still see a bunch of the bigger names pushed through round two, probably because the top seven all had buys. There was plenty of close action though, especially the Andy Murray versus Francis TFO match, which was an obvious headliner. And I mean, Shravya, I'm pretty sure that's one of the matches that you almost lost your voice to. Yes, for sure. So we had already discussed this match as one of our 
quote-unquote tiebreakers in the last episode, predicting it would be an action-packed spotlight-stealing match, and we could not have been more right. Returning British legend Andy Murray was first put under pressure when the first set came down to a tiebreaker, but Murray broke through, winning that tiebreaker 8-6. But American tank Francis TFO came right back, winning the second set 6-3, and I guess at that point Murray apparently decided it had been enough and just won the third and final set 6-1. Another interesting thing I noticed about round one was that all the Canadians in the main draw made it through to round two. So Den- Net- Dennis Shapovalov, who is also known as the Night Train now because of his recently released music, wiped 2014 US Open champion Marin Cilic off the court 6-3-6-3. And I don't know about you, Shravya, but I feel like the title Night Train really makes sense in this context since it- this was technically a night match. So maybe Shapo plays his best in, in the night. Maybe. Um, another match we were looking about, uh, at on the Canadian side is Ali Asime, um when he defeated Basilashvili for the second time since their last meeting at the Leon Open. And also, finally, the last of the Canadians, Milos Raonic, defeated American Sam Querrey in an easy 6-4, 6-4 score. Well, not easy, but hopefully you know what I mean. Yeah, and I think one thing Josefina and I've noticed is Raonic is sporting a wonderful new hairdo. He has this wonderful red bandana and plenty of curly locks, which I honestly find a lot better from his slick back jail hair look that he usually used to wear. So he hasn't cut his hair since before the Australian Open because he wanted to be very cautious about exposing himself to others. And also why he's this is also why he's one of the few players in private housing. He must have done something right because he's actually made it through to the third round. So maybe his air, hair is acting as some sort of good luck charm. I mean, a number of players at the Western Southern Open seem to be playing a level of tennis we have never seen from them before, including Raonic but also Cece Bellis. So Cece Bellis, if you didn't know, she has been suffering from severe injuries on her wrist and her hand. She had tendonitis and she's gone through four surgeries. She's finally coming back from injury and I was really impressed by the way that she was playing in the first round. Um, she came through to, from qualifying and she did eventually lose in a challenging second round match, but it's so nice to see her back on the court. And she talked about how during quarantine, she's really gotten into cooking. And she started a website called cccooks.com. And check out her Instagram at cccooks for her recipes. And honestly, the photos are so enticing. And she said that she's best known for her cinnamon rolls. So maybe after her post-match recovery involves some cinnamon rolls. But, you know, that's all for the WTA round one side. I thought it's great to see Bellis back. Um, but Josefina, what about you about the ATP moving on? We saw a bunch of upsets in the second and third rounds on the ATP side. <laughs> so Serbian Filip Krajinovic completely obliterated number two seed Dominic Thiem. I don't know if something was going on with Thiem that day, but credit to Krajinovic because he beat the current world number four six two six one. Also, number five seed Alexander Zverev was upset by familiar name yet unseated Andy Murray, 6-3-3-6-7-5. Andy Murray is obviously a former world number one, three-time Grand Slam champion, and two-time Olympic champ. 
This match was making all the headlines in the tennis world because it was just that good. It was a huge match for Andy because this was his first top 10 win since 2017 and his two hip replacement surgeries. So the man's been through a lot and to play a match like this after all that is still absolutely unbelievable to me. And let me tell you that during the last set, Shravi and I were going insane because Zverev was serving for the match at 5-4, but Murray came back, won three games in a row, and won the last set 7-5. Murray did go on to the third round to lose to Canadian Milos Raonic 6-2-6-2, but he still played amazing in the two rounds that he was participating in. So a next match, well, player, I guess, that I was looking at was um, Rayleigh Opelka. He is six foot eleven, and he has been making some waves at this year's Western and Southern Open. In the second round, Opelka was put up against seed number nine, Diego Schwartzman, who is quite ironically one of the shortest players on the ATP tour. Um, and then also after defeating Schwartzman six three seven six, Opelka continued to the third round, and he took out number six seed Matteo Berrettini six three seven six. I mean, those are some great results from the ATP side. It's nice to see Riley Opelka, a new player, coming through, as well as Andy Murray making a comeback. As far as the WTA side, we saw the top two seeds and the defending champion out. Carolina Pliskova, Sofia Kennan, and Madison Keys all lost in their first matches. Serena Williams, I mean, in, their sec- in, in the second round, which was her first match, she was facing a qualifier, Aranxa Rus, and she was playing amazingly. This was actually one of the matches where I almost lost my voice, but it was a thrilling three-setter, great tennis from Serena. But then in her next third-round match against Maria Sakkari from Greece, Serena had many opportunities to close out the match in the second set and really had the match in her in her hands. But if anyone was watching, you know what I'm talking about when it was really hard to watch at the end in the third set. Serena was really tanking, and she really almost it seemed like she was giving up and she said in her press conference that there were no excuses and that it's hard to keep a positive mindset based on the way she's playing so i think that psychologically and physically this is concerning for serena going to the u.s open where she obviously has high expectations and i mean i hope that she's able to improve her ability to close out matches when it comes to that grand slam on the other hand maria sakari was playing great um, and another person to talk about is Jessica Pegula. She's the American qualifier, and she's been playing very well this year. And she's obviously made it to the quarterfinals at the Western and Southern Open, taking out Jennifer Brady, Amanda Anisimova, and the fifth seed, Sabalenka. And what most people have been saying is that since the USDA courts are faster this year, that must be helping Pegula's game. So it's nice to see that she's breaking through. A couple of players who are kind of flying under the radar these past few rounds are Elise Mertens and Owens Jabor. And even though they're flying under the radar, they have both been playing very good tennis this year. Jabor is the first Arab woman to be in the WTA top 115 years. And she reached the quarterfinals in the Australian Open at Doha and now at the Western and Southern Open. So great tennis from her. And, you know, who she was going to face off against in the quarterfinals is actually Victoria Azarenka. And this is some of the best tennis that she has played in years. She took out Donna Vekic, Caroline Garcia, Elise Cornet in three high-quality matches. She didn't drop a set. So she's playing really well, and those are formidable opponents. So it's really nice to see that Azarenka is playing nicely. The other two top seeds that are doing well are Naomi Osaka and Joanna Kansa. They're both looking great out there. I'm excited to see what they bring. 
And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they continue in this tournament. Yeah, the WTA side is looking great, Shavia. So continuing on to the ATP side, but now we're going to talk about the doubles. So I think an ATP doubles team to look out for is um, one that includes Jamie Murray. I feel Jamie Murray is always someone to look out for when speaking about doubles because he's a seven-time doubles Grand Slam champion and is currently world number 26 in doubles rankings. He is partnered with fellow countryman Neil Skupski for this year's Western and Southern Open, and they have been playing great for all these three rounds, and they defeated the number one seeds in the first round in straight sets. Also, something else about the ATP doubles going on is John Isner and his double partner Hubert Hurkacz only made it to the second round of doubles, and it seems like it was because the day before they lost, they were forced by an unlucky draw to play each other in singles. Isner won 7-5-6-4, so we never know. It might have caused some tension that, (laughs) I don't know, carried on to the next day. Maybe. That is an unlucky draw. On the WTA side of doubles, um, the team that I kind of picked to look out for is the duo of Kweta Peshke and Demi Schurz. They're a new partnership in 2020, and they had not been able to win back-to-back matches prior to this tournament. They're the number three seeds, and Peshke is the 2011 Wimbledon champion. She's from the Czech Republic, and she's had several deep runs in the slams, and she really is a WTA veteran because she's 45 years old, and she's still playing top-quality doubles. And she's partnered with Demi Schurz from the Netherlands. She also has a great doubles career. She's 27 years old. And the team has a combined number of 44 titles, so I really think that they are a duo to look out for. It's time for one of our favorite segments, the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz. For those of you who don't know, the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz is a trivia segment Shravi and I do here on Hold On To Your Racket. At the end of each tournament, we combine our overall scores from all the quizzes we did throughout to find a winner between us two. The winner is named the Tennis Ball Frizz Quiz Whiz. Alright, I'm excited and... You know, Josephina, this little trivia competition thing that we're having actually reminds me of something. So Josephina and I aren't really that competitive when it comes to, you know, the tennis ball frizz quiz. We kind of like to see how much we know about, you know, different things about each tournament. However, um, Josephina and I play tennis together, and our coaches are very competitive. And every single week of summer camp, they have this kind of Davis Cup team tennis type of thing, and they... You know, they do everything. They, like, flip a coin. One of the coaches gets first pick. They draft the teams. They pick team captains. And they kind of do, like, a Davis Cup or, like, a team tennis tournament. Like, they play against each other, and then they count the numbers of games that each team won. And they take it very seriously. Um, And, you know, they have been keeping record of their kind of Davis Cup scores for the past, I think, year or two. Yeah, and, I think you know, two maybe years. We, right? Yeah. And, I mean, I think we should make those our two coaches take the tennis ball frizz quiz against each other because, you know, Josephine and I are doing this for fun, but those two, they would really go at it. So I would love to see that competition. <laughs> Me too. I think it would be pretty intense. Um, all right, Josephina, I think I am ready for your first question. All right, let's do it. Question number one on my side. Is the Western and Southern Open, previously known as the Cincinnati Masters, A, 20 miles south of Cincinnati, 
B, 20 miles west of Cincinnati, C, 20 miles north of Cincinnati, and D, or D, 20 miles east of Cincinnati? This is a really hard question, Josephine. Are you kidding me? And there's only four <laughs> options. Um, you know what? I'm just going to go with A. Was that 20, 20 miles south? Incorrect. Of it was course the it was exact incorrect. opposite. <laughs> it 20 was miles north. north? Yeah. It oh, was wow. North. Okay, I'm ready for your question. All right. In his three matches so far at the Western and Southern Open, how many aces has Riley Opelka hit? Now, just to clarify, this were the, his three first round matches from that data. The okay. answer choices are 40 aces, 47 aces, 50 aces, or 63 aces. Before you even said the options, I was thinking around the 20s range, so <laughs> this number is already killing me. I mean, um, he is almost 7 feet tall, or maybe he, true. I don't know, is he 7 feet tall? Um, I don't know. But I don't know, I haven't. Those pictures with him next to Diego Schwartzman were hilarious. Oh yeah, I saw those. Um, I'm gonna go with 47. So close, the answer is 50 aces in his first three matches. Um, so unfortunately, 47 was incorrect. But regardless, how crazy is that? 50 aces? If I could yeah, hit 50 aces in three saying. matches, I'd be, you know, I'd be set. <laughs> I mean, it does come with the height, I guess. But still, it's pretty insane to think about. Okay. Uh, question number two. Ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. My question number two is... Andy Murray recently said in an interview that one of the things he misses most about having the Western and Southern Open in Ohio is the ice cream place he went to almost every night next to his hotel. What was the name of the ice cream place? Was oh it my A? God. <laughs> was it A? Hagendaz, B? Graders, C? Ben and Jerry's, or D? Mason Ice Cream Co. Okay, so Mason is in Ohio, and I feel like it wouldn't be, like, a mainstream brand that he would go to, so I'm trying to debate between B and D. Um, I'm gonna go with B, because I feel, yeah, sure, B. You're right! Let's go! I was thinking maybe she put the Mason ice cream company or whatever to kind of throw me off a little bit. Yeah, I did. So I just went with B. The um the open actually takes place in Mason, Ohio. So I was hoping you would have known that fact, but <laughs> <laughs> clearly not, because I got that question incorrect. No, you got it in right. Fir- no, I mean the first one when I said that it was oh, twenty yeah. miles south. Yeah, the correct answer is B graders. Alright, my our last question for today is which member of Novak Djokovic's team volunteered to give him a haircut in the bubble a few days ago? The choices are A, his physio, B, his coach, C, his hitting partner, or D, his doubles partner. I'm gonna go with his physio therapist. You are correct. Yes. It was oh my his god, that means we're tied again. We tied last time. I know. 
See, if this were our two coaches, they'd be absolutely fuming that they tied. Like, they'd want a tiebreaker round ASAP. Josephina and I, on the other hand, are totally okay with tying. But yes, the correct answer was his physio. I think he uploaded a video of it on Instagram. Um, So nice, Djokovic got a new haircut going to the Western and Southern Open and the U.S. Open. Um, And it's nice seeing these players back on the court, so I'm excited that we got to do some nice trivia to welcome them back to New York. Okay, everyone, now it's time for the segment that we have entitled Aces and Double Falls. You guys may have remembered this from our previous episode, but essentially what it is is where we look at some of the latest good and bad tidbits from the tennis world and see what's an ace and what's a double fault. So for our ace, we're going to talk about the Black Lives Matter sign that the, signs that the USTA has put up on its show courts. So in the wake of, we kind of talked about this last episode, but in the wake of kind of the social justice movement in the United States and honestly around the world, we've seen some tennis players really speak out about these issues. So Naomi Osaka, for example, she went to one of the protests in Minneapolis. Coco Golf also went to protest, and Francis TFO has also spoken out in support of Black Lives Matter and talked about maybe some areas that tennis, even as a sport, needs to improve upon. So I mean, Josephina and I have talked about this a bunch, but we think it's great that the USTA is using their platform to share such an important, such an important message. Um, kind of what they did with the messages of social justice being allowed on players' attire. Um, and it'll be interesting to see if the US Open continues this sort of sentiment throughout their tournament as well. But so far, it's definitely a great implementation. So I think that that is definitely an ace. I completely agree, Shavia. And so now let's move on to our double faults. Our double fault is kind of a spin this time because the double fault is actually the criticism, something we believe deserved enthusiasm received. So the criticism is against the Andre Agassi-inspired Nike outfits being used at this year's Western and Southern Open. We personally love them. Um, Andrew Agassi introduced the new style during the 1990 U.S. Open, marking exactly 30 years ago this year that the new style and culture was brought to the tennis world. He stunned fans by wearing a now-signature jean shorts, neon shirts, and long crazy hair, which is kind of ironic since now he's known for his baldness. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nike decided to pay tribute with the 1990s-era Andre Agassi-inspired line of tennis outfits made for the participants of the 2020 Western and Southern Open and U.S. Open. So, Shravan, I mean, I love the outfits. Yeah, me too. I love them. I think they look great. I mean, I've seen a couple of Nike-sponsored players um, showcasing them. I've seen Dennis Shapovalov, Francis TFO, and probably a couple of others, and it honestly looked great to me. Yeah, Azarenka was wearing it too. I think, I mean, we both like them. I think this kind of retro tennis outfit type of thing is a pretty cool trend, but... Kind of as we did with Dennis Shapovalov's Night Train release, um, we didn't categorize it as an ace or as a double fault. We kind of left that you guys or left it up to you guys, our listeners. Um, we have another one. So, what do you guys think of electronic line calling and Hawkeye line calling? Should tennis keep it, or should tennis bring lines people back when we can? So, if you'd like to let us know your answer, you can always email us, or you can drop a video message if you'd like or sorry an audio message if you'd like but you know this is something that we'll leave up to you guys to determine 
Thank you so much for joining us. That is game, set, and match for today. If you like this episode, please let us know and stay tuned for more. We'll be providing you all the coverage of the Western and Southern Open and the U.S. Open and more as professional tennis returns. Email us at holdontoyourracket at gmail.com for any questions and leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And remember, my name is Josefina. And my name is Shravya. That is, if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't like it, please tell your friends my name is Tom and Shravya's name is Bob. (laughs) See you next time.